Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This passage of Scripture introduces the provision that God has given us for the final destruction of planet Earth. God has promised that though He has destroyed the Earth and life upon it in the past with the flood, that He will no longer do that, but He reveals uh, not by water, but by fire. This next time, I've called it a Molotov cocktail that God has prepared no flood, but it's going to be burn, baby, burn, as this earth and this atmosphere itself dissolve and melt with a fervent heat. But there is a new heaven and a new earth that's going to come into existence. Let's look this morning at what God has to say concerning that destruction. He said, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The text begins with the word but that takes us back to what has been previously set forth. And in the previous statement, he talked about the destruction of the earth by water. We pointed out in our earlier study that there have actually been two times that the earth was destroyed by water. In the Genesis account, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us about the original creation In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, He tells us, but the earth became tohu wabohu, that is, an environmental uh, disaster. Uh, The environmentalists today would love to understand that and go back to that point uh, and point out uh, perhaps that's what's coming in the future, except God's revealed to us a different plan that He has for it all. So, while He destroyed the earth in the original creation, and while He destroyed the earth in the Noahic flood, He sent forth a promise at that time that never again would He destroy it by water. But now, we receive the understanding that He has placed in the heart of the earth, in the center of this earth, there is a fire burning. I noticed uh, in some of the uh, scientists' approach to 
of the core of the earth. They say, well, it's not a flame, but it's a, and so it's not a fire, but it's hotter than the sun. In the center of the earth is the core of this earth. Uh, be careful about following the science, but they say it's hotter than the sun. He has reserved that for His plan for what He intends to do with planted earth. But the heavens and the earth which are now. The word heavens, you might note, is plural. There are actually three heavens that are described in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul refers to it directly telling us that there was a time in which he was caught up into the third heaven. Now because there's not a lot of information that's given beyond that, there are all kinds of theories and ideas that are being propagated as to the three aspects of heaven so that they have those and some of the cults that teach, depending on how you live life here, which level you're going to be on in heaven. That there are going to be degrees of burning fire in hell, and depending on how bad you've been, how bad you'll be burned. And uh, on the other hand, that there are three heavens, and therefore you can ascend to the highest heaven if you really serve God and live out that design. Well, that's man's viewpoint. The Scripture does not identify that, but rather the Scripture identifies the three heavens as being the atmospheric heaven that goes up about 60 miles, and then the stellar space where the stars and the planets of the sun and all of that is, and then wherever beyond that, wherever the third heaven is, perhaps a totally different dimension is identified as the throne room of God. So the plural is used that is identified here by Peter, but the heavens, plural, and the earth, which are now. The heavens and the earth, after the originals were destroyed and we have the the reestablishment of life here upon the earth with the Noahic family, uh, bringing uh, life back upon the earth, that that too is appointed to destiny, not by water, but by fire. Fire throughout the Word of God, while it is oftentimes literal, and this certainly is described as a literal fire, when we get further into the study, we find the, the elements dissolving and all that is related uh, to uh, a literal fire is diagrammed for us here. But even when the symbol is used, it refers to judgment. The judgment of God is coming. I'm fascinated by some in the charismatic uh, movement that became uh, so active in the early 60s or the late 60s and the early 70s uh, that people were wanting that baptism of fire. Baptism of fire. Because Jesus said, if I go, I will send one like me back. 
He will baptize, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So people wanted to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and to be, and the word baptized means to be immersed in. And at the same time, they connected that fire and so they wanted the baptism of fire. Well, don't pray for that. That's judgment. Either you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is the where the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ, or you will receive the baptism of fire, which is the judgment of God. So the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, he says, and we looked at that word uh, earlier and we saw it is the word lagon in the Greek. It refers to the revelation or the revealer uh, as it's used here to identify the second person of the Godhead. In John chapter 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was nothing made that was made. He is the Creator, that revealed person of the Godhead, who took upon Himself earthly form and came and lived upon the earth to meet our obligation and to die in our place, that we might have His righteousness credited to our account. The word word refers then to the second person of the Godhead here, and he it is the he that keeps this world together, and the one that is going to bring about that which has been reserved for the end of time itself, that which we are going to see in. Uh, the destruction of these heavens and uh, this earth and the understanding and reality of a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be brought into existence. It is the Word of God that keeps on being as a matter of principle having been stored up with the result that they continue today. We find that kept in store, that by the same Word, the same Word that created the heavens and the earth, the same Word that brought the destruction upon the earth, the same Word that reestablished life here, then these heavens and this earth are, as a matter of principle, having been stored up with the result that they continue as a matter of principle, to be reserved for fire, the text tells us. I point out to you that the statement, having uh, keep on being kept in store, that that's a participle. And wherever we find a participle in uh, the Greek New Testament, we are having a principle emphasized and revealed for us. It's a matter of principle that God has reserved in the core of this earth a Molotov cocktail for that which He is going to deliver at the appointed hour 
And the same word that created is the same word that holds it in store and keeps it in reservation for fire. Under fire, the word puri is the Greek word for fire. It's used here to identify that as a matter of principle, the Word of God has reserved this earth and these heavens for fire. Notice he says, against the day of judgment and perdition. I point out that the word thee is not found in the Greek text before the word day. Nor is it found before the word judgment. The identification of leaving the word the day off, he's not talking about specifics, he's talking about characteristics. If the Bible uses, or in the Greek New Testament uses the word the God, it's talking about the God specifically. But if the word the is not there and it simply says God, it's identifying His attributes, His character, the qualities of God. And that same rule is seen here It's not the day of judgment. There is the day of judgment that's been pointed out. But the writer here, uh, Peter, under direction of the Holy Spirit, it leaves off the day and simply says day of judgment and day of perdition to emphasize the characteristics of that day. What a day it's going to be. When these heavens become on fire and this earth melts with a fervent heat and simply dissipates and disappears and a new heaven and a new earth are brought into existence. The characteristics of that day, the awfulness, the tragedy of it for those who have rejected the provision of salvation made available through Jesus Christ our Lord, who have not recognized God and given Him His rightful place. The characteristics of that burning fire should be threatening and alarming to them. It's a day of judgment and a day of perdition. The word perdition is translated from the Greek word which means utter destruction. I point out that the word judgment along with the word perdition are both feminine nouns. Which means judgment is in response. Utter destruction is in response. The feminine gender identifies the responder. These, uh, This judgment and uh, that day and that utter destruction are the result of man's choice, of man's decision. God has to judge unrighteousness. He has to judge sin because He is a just and a righteous God. And that 
justness of God and righteousness of God demands a penalty for sin, but in His love, He provided His own, paying the debt Himself in order that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so our response is going to be called upon based upon the response that He initiated because of His judgment. It's going to be a day of judgment and utter destruction of the ungodly. Asabon is the Greek word that's translated ungodly. The word actually means those who disregard the person of God. Those who disregard the person of God. We go back to Romans chapter 1 and it tells us that the judgment of God is going to come upon all and that they are without excuse because when they knew God through the things that God had created, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful. They disregarded the person of God and judgment is coming. Ungodly men, those men who disregard the person of God. The judgment and utter destruction is going to destroy the heavens and the earth because men have disregarded God and ignored the instruction of God. Verse 8 continues, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Notice this is addressed to the beloved. That word in the Greek identifies those of you who have been loved with a self-sacrificial love. The masculine gender, though, is used. The masculine gender indicates the initiator and the initiation of an act. The use of the masculine gender shows uh, that God initiated a plan and we initiated the action of becoming the beloved. We became the beloved by receiving the grace plan of God by accepting Jesus Christ and His life and His sacrifice as a substitute for our own sin and charging our sin to His account, He gives us His righteousness. There comes a time when we have to initiate that action of becoming the the beloved. He has initiated His love. We must then initiate a calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. He said, but beloved, be not ignorant. Those of you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, it's not be not, it's stop. Stop being ignorant. But actually, the verb that is used here identifies stop allowing these things to be concealed from you. There are those who would thwart the plan of God by denying the purpose and the plan of God 
those that Peter is or has been warning about in this epistle are those who came to understand the plan of God and then refused to accept the plan of God and are now trying to garner up others along with them to oppose uh, uh, that which God has revealed in His Word. So those of you <clears throat> that have been loved with a self-sacrificial love, stop allowing yourself to have these truths concealed to you. And then he points out one specific thing of this one thing. Be reminded that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now there are those who try to take that formula out of context and apply it throughout the rest of Scripture and uh, would identify uh, and take away from the meaning. Read it within its context. He is identifying here the day of judgment that's coming, the characteristics of that, and the destruction of these heavens and this earth. And there are scoffers who say, things haven't changed since the beginning. Where is His coming? Where is the fulfillment of this? So he said, remember, we're dealing with a timeless God. I don't know if you become conscious of that as often as I do when, when I pray and I seek some, some provision of God now, not later, but now, and recognize that when we ask things of God, we are dealing with a timeless God. Time only matters as it relates to us. And of course, He's the one that created time and established time in the spans of eternity uh, itself. And so we have to bear in mind uh, that when He says, Behold, I come quickly in the book of Revelation, uh, it's not quickly by our standard, but quickly by His standard. And by the way, that passage we saw in Revelation in our study of current events in light of Bible prophecy, uh, we saw that when he makes that statement, Behold, I come quickly, it is quick even by man's standard because that's the end of the tribulation that is being cited and his second coming. But we we hear Peter say not only do we need to be reminded of this one thing, that one day is as with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years uh, as one day. But we need to hear him as he continues by saying that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord. The word Lord does not have the word thee in front of it in the original text. And so I remind you again that the absence of the article, the word thee, places emphasis upon the characteristics of the Lord. He is emphasizing the characteristics of the Lord. And one of the characteristics of the Lord is that He's not slack 
concerning his promise. The word slack, braduning, means continuously slow. He is not continuously slow concerning the promise. Now, we do have the word the in front of promise here. And so, by now, you've picked up on the reality that if the word the is there, we're talking about a specific one. And it's a specific promise that he is identifying here for us. Concerning the promise, he is not continuously slow. When he made the promise, he had a plan. He has a calendar for that plan. And we then are tempting to understand that and to conform to his instruction and guidance to us until that day occur, until he comes and takes us away. As I said in my note out last night, it's at least a thousand and seven years before this promise is going to be fulfilled. Now don't say, well, I may find some other things to do next Sunday, like going boating or something or other, because the starting for that thousand and seven years begins with the rapture of the church. How long is it going to be till the rapture of the church? (laughs) He hasn't revealed that. He's given us some guidelines that shows it could happen today. Could have happened yesterday. Well, we know it didn't yesterday, but we don't know yet about today. So that calendar of a thousand and seven years will start when the church is raptured from the earth. And the church will be raptured from the earth at the appointed hour, not revealed to you and I as the bride of Christ by the bridegroom. Uh, when in, in the Jewish wedding ceremony, uh, the bride did not know when the bridegroom was going to come. All she knew was the bridegroom had gone back to his father's house and he was preparing a place for her and at the appointed hour that he appointed, he would come and get the bride and take her to his father's house. That will start the calendar for seven years to finish the Jewish administration in the seven year tribulation. Then we'll come back with the bridegroom, with the bridegroom as his bride to the earth and the thousand years will be fulfilled. So when we say the promise, we're talking about the destruction of these heavens and this earth. That's at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. A thousand year reign following the seven year tribulation, but the rapture could begin that counting and countdown even today. But until he comes, he has given us a work to do, and we are to be about that work day by day. The promise is of this heavens and this earth being dissolved and a new heaven and a new earth coming into existence then at that point. The Lord is not continually slow concerning this promise 
as some men continually consider slowness, but he is long-suffering. He keeps on having long patience. Makrothumia. He keeps on having long patience. It's the indicative mood. He really does keep on having long patience. It's in the present tense. He continues to have long patience. It's active voice. He makes the decision and establishes the timetable for it. He is long-suffering to usward. Well, that's not what the Greek text says. He keeps on being long patience unto you. Not to us, but to you. It becomes personal in this, and it's plural unto all. The plan of God has provided for uh, a long patience, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing. Voluminous means as a matter of principle, purposing. He has not purposed that any should perish. John Calvin, where are you? Well, I guess he went long before I did, before I got here, and so he's got his theology straight now. But Calvin and others, and very popular throughout this area of the panhandle in Idaho, is the concept that God only selected certain ones that he would say. Well, in a way, that's true. Who did he select? Those in Christ. Who can be in Christ? Whosoever will. But that's not the view of the Reformed uh, in theology. They would say, no, God selected certain ones, and they're the only ones that can be saved. And He gives them salvation and the ability to believe even after they're saved. Then they get the ability to believe, and salvation is finalized, and they are secure. No, this says God has not purposed that any should perish. It's in a discussion with a Reformed preacher uh, one day, and he said, uh, well, we need to understand that God has only selected certain ones. And I said, well, what do we do with Peter's writing when he said God... Uh, uh, has not purposed that any should perish. God's not willing. He said, well, what is the will of God and what God has purposed are two different things. I said, well, apparently you're not familiar with the Greek language. I said, this word, willing. I'm glad to hear you say that God has a purpose because this word willing, voluminous, means making it a matter of principle to purpose. No, God wills, no, He purposes that no one must perish. He has not set up a plan that would eliminate any, but rather He has set up a plan that all should come to repentance. 
that all should make it their purpose to come into repentance. Metanoia translated repentance means a change of purpose. So these three verses should read this way. But the heavens and the earth now, by means of the same word, keep on being as a matter of principle, having been stored up with the result that they continue as a matter of principle to be reserved for fire into the day of judgment and utter destruction by men who disregard the person of God. And those of you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, stop allowing this same thing to be concealed from you that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not continually slow concerning the promise as some men continually consider slowness, but He keeps on having long patience unto you as a matter of principle, not purposing that any should make it their purpose to perish, but that all should make it their purpose to come into a change of purpose. So don't be taken in by the scoffers who try to convince you that Christ is ignoring His promise to come again. They operate, as we've seen in Peter's epistle, in the environment of their own lust pattern. They attempt to convince you that nothing has changed since creation. They have chosen to ignore the facts. Not only did God destroy the creation by flood in the days of Noah, but He has stored up fire in the heart of the earth for a future destruction. So stop allowing that fact to be concealed from you. God operates on a different timetable than man. The Lord has a purpose in delivering His, in delaying His coming. And He hasn't delayed it. It just seems delayed to us. It's according to His plan. But He's not willing that any should perish. As a matter of principle, He has not purposed that any should perish. That word, uh, voluminous, not making it a matter of principle to purpose, is in the middle voice. That indicates you have a decision to make and God had a decision to make. God does His work of providing salvation through Jesus Christ We do ours by accepting His provision instead of trying to stand on our own or do it ourselves. The middle voice shows we have a choice in the matter and He initiated the action. We also recognize that those that make choice are initiators. The word is masculine. And so we initiate the action And we must initiate the action of receiving Christ as our personal Savior. Now, what is our purpose then? Our purpose is that we should come to repentance. 
that we should all come. Notice that word all. That we should all come into repentance. The word repentance then, metanoia, to change our purpose and go in the opposite direction. To call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our work, our calling, is as a sojourner. God is fulfilling His purpose by waiting until the appointed hour. My question for you is, have you taken advantage of that time and modified your purpose so that you have a purpose of living according to the design that He has set up for us as sojourners as foreigners not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to do the business of our King. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask Your blessing upon each in our assembly today. We thank You for the opportunity that we have of examining Your Word. We pray for understanding, not just of what it says, but Father, that we might understand how to apply it and as we go throughout this week, that we might see those appointments You have established for us so that we might represent properly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Minister to each one as we go throughout this week, keeping us in Your care, mindful and having an ability to recognize Your direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.